With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. This is the Hockey News Podcast. Hey everybody, the Hockey News Podcast is here. It's Matt Larkin with Ken Campbell and Ryan Kennedy and we're in late July. This is the time of year when the news cycle is supposed to slow down, but instead, Friday afternoon at about 4 o'clock Eastern, a news bomb just drops on all of us. All of us hockey reporters out there that were maybe hoping to, I don't know, get away to a cottage or whatever, but then you have Jacob Truba signing his contract and Artemi Panarin getting into trouble with his comments, and of course, we're going to start with the trade. Milan Lucic for James Neal, and uh, it's a trade that theoretically could have a winner. Maybe it doesn't have a winner at all, but let's let's discuss, fellas. What do you think of this trade? Well, who got the better player? Because that's who won the trade. Yeah. <laughs> who got the better player? Well, yeah. <laughs> I'd say the Edmonton Oilers got the better player at this stage yes. of their career. Yeah. Yes. I think James Neal is the one that has upside left in his stick, and obviously. even though even though he he was outscored by Milan Lucic this year, yeah. Albeit well, Lucic played about fifteen more games and had. One more point. <laughs> it feels like the big thing here is that James Neal had a horrid shooting percentage last year with Calgary and clearly did not vibe with Coach Bill Peters. So if you're the Edmonton Oilers, you look at this and say, like, okay, well, he's not going to shoot like 4% again. And you but can- he's 32. Maybe he will. No, no is, nobody shoots four. Like that's just not a yeah. thing people do season to season to season. It's not like skating. Like it's not like he lost a step. Like he didn't forget how to score. He just had like a lot of bad luck. And I would presume that he'll get a shot with Connor McDavid, if not on a line, then at least on the power play. And that in itself, I think, will obviously help him produce more than he did with Calgary and just get a fresh start. What's interesting to me is how. Calgary's already very good, and they were very good even with bad James Neal. So even though James Neal is the better player right now, I think, you know, Calgary was looking at Lucic as, okay, we got pushed around in the playoffs. Exactly. We don't want that to happen exactly. again. My only concern is that— Well, yeah, but he's not— He's not really good. Like, he's not going to be on the ice in the playoffs very much. No. Like, I, 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 um, I'm a little worried about how this is going to end up how this is going to end up for Milan Lucic because basically Calgary went out and got him because they want more muscle, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they'll, they'll almost certainly put him on the fourth line. I don't know. I, you just see when guys fade like that, then they start then they start fighting and then they think that's the only thing they have they can do well, and David Backus. Yeah, and then and mm-hmm. then it becomes then it becomes really ugly. Like I, it just becomes really ugly. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, I mean Calgary's Calgary is um, saving, like in terms of cash, 
they're saving a ton of cash because mm. a lot of Lucic's contract was front loaded, yeah. plus three million signing bonus that he had to get this year on July first. So I think I think I, I think you know I mean Edmonton's going to be paying James Neal like twenty three million dollars over the next four years, right. and uh, at plus they're going to have to take five hundred thousand off of. Uh, off of um, Lucic's contract, seven fifty, I think, or is it seven fifty? I thought it was five hundred or seven fifty. And it, yeah, seven fifty. So when you add all that up in terms of dollars, mm. it's a big time steal for Calgary. Yeah, I think so. I, I see on paper, that at least in the best case scenario, I, I do see a, a situation where it could work out for both. I think for Calgary, the best case is Lucic. Maybe you try him on the right side of the third line with Sam Bennett and Mark Jankowski, and he brings sort of a poor man at this stage of his career. Poor man's Michael Furland type of presence like a, a de- destitute man destitute man <laughs> yes. uh, but I, I agree I think it's it remains to be seen what Lucic really has left and I, I think the more intriguing side of the deal is definitely Neil because of the the ceiling is still there uh, because he is a shooter and I do think he's going to get a chance on that top line and the thing is with, with, with Neil and Calgary yes it was a nightmare season but he never got his chance right Elias Lindholm was on that first line from day one of the season and Neil never got his shot on that top line so we never really got a chance to see what Neil could do with better quality line mates and Edmonton's been so desperate to find that right winger it's been Alex Chase on and I think Neil could I think if the only person you have to leapfrog on the depth chart to get your shot with McDavid is Alex Chason, who's like a pretty low ceiling player, yeah. I think we're going to see Neil get a shot. What's mm-hmm. really interesting to me about this trade, though, of course, is the condition uh, in which a third-round pick goes to Calgary if James Neal scores 21 goals or more and Lucic scores at least 10 fewer goals than Neal. But to me, it's crazy because there's there's potential for some juking to happen Absolutely. on either yeah, yeah, side yeah, 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 to try yeah. and make that that pick happen right late yeah, in the yeah. season, you know. Yeah. If, if well, James Neal's got more 20 goals, Edmonton side because, yeah, Edmonton's yeah, out of the playoffs, yeah. and James Neal's yeah. got 20 goals, and Lucic has six goals. You bench James Neal for the rest of the season, yeah, <laughs> don't you? Totally. Well, I mean. We say that because we're not in the business of actually winning hockey games. Yeah, I think with a third rounder, I, I think I think you just say whatever. Like I, yeah. I, they're going to take those goals from James Neal if, yeah. if he's if he's going to give them goals, they're going to take them, and but they'll happily give up that. Third what if round. you're also trying to contend for a better lottery spot? So what if you're Edmonton? You're late in the season. There's let's say five games left. Okay, you don't want to win those games. Okay, well it doesn't matter because Ken Holland is the GM of the Edmonton Oilers, and Ken Holland has gone on the record many, 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 many. Many, many times as to saying that he will never his none of his teams will ever tank a season so yeah. I, I mean that's that's just not going to happen man but I can't like, imagine if Neil's at 20 goals though it's all you have to, to do is sit about. him all you have to do is tell tell James Neal you have the flu my friend you have the flu for these last <laughs> couple games and you're going to help us keep a third round pick if you're James Neal you take that for the team yeah no? NHL players and yeah, coaches just yeah. they don't, I, I they don't just, work that way. That's one of those ones where I think it's just like it, like if that were a first round pick, right. it would be a little more dicey, but it's it's a third round. The hockey gods would smite you. <laughs> like yeah, you would end yeah. up choosing, you know, like you would drop as far in the lottery as possible. Yeah. If you and you know, that. if you're getting goals from James Neal, it's like, okay, just just keep doing that. Yes. Because because in reality, James Neal, if he's not doing that, as not we've doing seen, anything. he's not doing anything. <laughs> yeah. He's he's not only he's not only not helping you, he's 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 hurting you. Yeah. So if you can get those goals from him, it would be great. So yeah. so if they get a forty goal season from James Neal and a 
and a 29-goal season for Milan Lucic, then uh, things will work out great for both yeah, teams. Yeah, I'm sure that's exactly. <laughs> this was a trade, though, that, that both teams had to make. They had to they had to get these players out of there. Well, yeah. we discussed this exact trade on the podcast yeah. a few weeks ago, right? Right. So there you go. Uh, next up, we have the Truba contract, seven-year deal, $8 million is the cap hit. Uh, I think that's roughly what we expected Truba to get. Uh, as a you know, right shot, 25 years old, in his prime, shut down, can play 25 minutes, checks all those boxes. Uh, but other than his 50-point season this year, Truba's offense, I don't think, was true elite level. No. So do you guys think he's going to justify an $8 million cap bet over the course of this contract? Uh, over the course of the contract? I'm not sure. Over the, over the short term of this contract? Yes. Um, you know, I mean, the New York Rangers had a terrible time getting the puck out of their own end last year. Like, terrible, terrible, terrible. Um, so, I mean, he's going to help in that respect. I, I do think he's going to be worth his cap hit. I mean, he's only 25, right? He's going to be 33 when it's over. I think the trajectory is going up. I think that 50-goal season, or sorry, 50-point season is more of an indicator of what he's capable of. And I think also the fact that he's going to be the guy. Yeah. He's going to be the guy in New York. He was never able. I mean, in fact, that was that was what was going. That was what his the reason behind his trade request in the first place way back a couple of years ago was because of his deployment in Winnipeg and the fact that he was never going to be able to play ahead of a lot of the other guys that they had. And I think now, you know, I mean, he was he was kind of stuck behind a few other guys that were going to get a lot more At quality least on the power play. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. so now, um, you know, now he's going to be that. That guy that get plays in all of those situations, I think that's going to bring out definitely bring out the best in them. Yeah, I think he'll he'll at least come close to that value. And I mean, the Rangers their their problems are all short term right now, where it's like, what do you do with Kevin Shattenkirk? What do you do with Mark Stahl and Brendan Smith? And mm-hmm. I mean, these guys are not signed for much longer. But just in terms of cap space, they need to get rid of at least one of them, and that will also have the effect of bumping up Truba not only on the depth chart like we know that he's going to play a lot but it'll also fit in like the salary will fit and the messaging will be yeah Truba's our guy also don't forget Adam Fox is coming in terrific puck mover Um, so he'll be a rookie to watch in New York but I think this was this was a nice contract and assuming that the cap goes up in the next couple of years with the new American TV contract it won't be as much of the actual uh, cap that is taking up, well, I, and I guess it'll, it, it'll fit. Ve- I think it'll fit very nicely. Like in sort of three, four years, we'll be like, "Man, Troop is only making eight. That's a that's a good deal." Yeah, that's a good deal. That'll be a good deal in a couple of years for sure. Yeah, I, I think so. I'm with you guys on that one. I think especially because he's only 25. It's not like it's a UFA and you're right. signing him into his right. mid 30s. Like you're going to get mm-hmm. his best yeah, years. Yeah, like I mean, if you're going to get a guy and you're going to pay him, I'd rather see you pay him in these circumstances than in the in in those circumstances you're right. talking about yeah. for sure. And that's a sign. Like if the Rangers were known for anything before it was the opposite it was you know they, they signed Kevin Shattenkirk in his late 20s really? so they were yeah. paying for what he had, he had already done whereas Truba we might not have necessarily seen his peak we know he's a good shutdown defenseman he can play very physically and if you look at his metrics compared to other Jets players he was one of the best if not the best on the blue line at limiting you know, high danger attempts and shot attempts all those good things mm-hmm. it's interesting to me because on one hand you think well the supporting cast he had all the talent in Winnipeg maybe his offense is going to go down but you're going to see him instead of, you know, Dustin Bufflin on the right side of the power play. He's going to get, I think he will get the first opportunities above even Shattenkirk mm-hmm. to be, 
not necessarily a true quarterback. It's not like Fox. Like, I think Fox yeah, will be the quarterback, quarterback eventually. Yeah, but just a presence on that power yeah. play, and we know he's going to get all the minutes he could ever want. He, I could see him being one of the league leaders in minutes going forward. Yeah, now. like, like a yeah. 26, 27 minute a game guy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So I, I think yep. it's going to be a good contract, and to me, it's just. The Rangers, we continue to say all these great things about them, but they just they they're not missing this offseason. They just everything they do seems to be a good decision. And just the fact that they're showing that evolution, paying a guy for what he's going to do instead of paying a guy for what yeah. he's already done. Mm-hmm. And that's the way I think the team should start thinking more often going forward. Absolutely. Um, actually sticking with the Rangers, uh, another piece of Rangers news, of course, is Artemi Panarin. He does the interview, hour-long interview placed on YouTube, in which he does the unthinkable for Russian player standards. He speaks out against Vladimir Putin. He says things like uh, that Putin no longer understands what's right and wrong, and he talks about Russia as a nation being lawless. And right now, I, I don't think it's the time to necessarily debate the nuances of what he said, but it's more about, from a hockey context, the impact of what he said. Uh, and what do we think is going to happen to, to Artemi Panarin now? Uh, and he, he, he even joked about having you know a laser sight on his head, and he gave the interview from his, his home country. So yeah. yeah. It could the impact could be anything. It could be you know something smaller, like if the NHL goes back to the Olympics, would Team Russia now not allow him to be on the team? That wouldn't surprise me one bit because of the way that Russian hockey and politics are so woven together. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. But what do you guys think? Well, I, I think I, I mean I think that it's it's interesting because you know we so often we say you know shut up and play and and you know that sort of thing and and clearly Artemi Panarin didn't do that in this case um i i was flabbergasted by what i saw like not not in a bad way i was just i was just so shocked Mm. uh when it first came out i thought oh okay well he's spoken out against putin okay great and then and then you read more and more and more of the comments and you're like wow like is this guy going to be hockey's version of colin kaepernick here Mm. um uh, you know i mean i i I don't know that there's going to be massive repercussions um, because he's been so public about it, and yeah, uh, you know, I mean, it would be it would be really quite interesting to see something happen, you know, to him or and and I don't I don't think that anything's going to happen to him or anyone in his family, um, but I think it'll be more of. You know, Boris Mikhailov's already come out and said, you know, that he's a, he 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 was disrespectful, and some of the old hockey guard in Russia, mm. you know, so um, you know, he may be ostracized a little bit among his peers because, I mean, we've seen, you know, both Alex Ovechkin and um, Evgeny Malkin, you know, they were on this Putin team, um, so you know, I mean, they're obviously not going to be in that camp, um, but. Uh, you know, I mean, I, I, I credit the guy for being a, a bit of a trailblazer here. Mm. I mean, we've this is unprecedented. I mean, we've never seen a guy come out so uh, so decisive about yeah. this situation in that country's history. Yeah, and I think what's really great about it from sort of a free speech perspective is that because it's Artemi Panarin, when it comes to the next national teams or the Olympics, the Russians can't say like, oh, he wasn't good enough. It's like, no, no, no. We know he's one of your best players. He might have been yeah. your first line yeah. left wing or, yeah. second, or second line. Yeah. yeah. He's a, you know, he was a world junior hero for right. Russia right. the last time they won a gold medal. And it's been a while <laughs> since they've won a gold medal. Buffalo. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So for him to stand out, you know, it's now, it's almost like he's thrown down the gauntlet and saying like, 
and I don't, I'm not saying he intended to do this, but it's like, okay, well, if you're going to try to like banish me or blacklist me, people are going to know why you did it, and you're going to look small because of it, because he is one of the best players from Russia right now and will mm-hmm. continue to be one of the best players from Russia for the next couple of years at least. So it, there's definitely sort of a line drawn in the sand saying, if you don't like my politics, people are going to know that's why you're keeping me off these teams because it's not going to be his play on the ice. And I think that's that's very courageous in itself in that he's making things very stark. There's there's no sort of room for interpretation in, in anything that happens in the future between him and Russian hockey, which we all know is very intrinsically linked uh, with Putin. It's, yeah. it's all... Yeah in there together with the KHL leadership. Um, so it's a small world when it comes to the uh, the heads over there. And, and Panarin is definitely, he's made that statement and he's made it in a very intriguing way. Right. And I do think the idea of pressure from above uh, when it comes to Russia and the government is very real. And I can give you a few examples. I was doing, for an upcoming special edition, we're doing oral histories of famous games. And I was doing one on the Miracle on Ice. And I was interviewing lots of players from Team USA. And I was trying to get Russian players. And eventually, there was instruction from the top down, someone we know that has connections to higher-ranking government officials in Russia, saying that all players are forbidden to even discuss the game. So I was completely frozen wow. out because, because <laughs> it's a loss. If it was of something they won, no problem. But the players were forbidden on a government level to even give interviews reminiscing about these negative memories at this point. They're done Ooh. talking about it. And I've even had, without naming names, um, been about to interview a current player. Uh, and while I was waiting, seconds before the player arrived, and the player was a Russian player, some team officials said, oh, by the way, can you not talk about Russian politics with this player? Because, because he feels a lot of pressure from home to say the right things, and it's really stressful for him. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that was thrown at the last second. I was like, okay, I was going to ask about that. Well, crap. But it just shows. It's a very real thing, the idea of this pressure from home. And I think people sometimes forget that these Russian players, once they go home, it's an entirely different world over there, and their celebrities is bigger there. It's different. And their sort of sense of devotion to their country it's something that I think a lot of us in North America can't even really understand mm-hmm. and that kind of puts in perspective how courageous Artemi Panarin is being right now yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. next up uh, earlier last week but it was after our last podcast uh, Seattle the expansion team maybe it's going to be the Kraken we don't know yet but they named their new GM and it's Ron Francis. So what do you guys think? Is he going to be a success, even though he was fairly ho-hum, four seasons in Carolina, four yeah. playoff misses? Yeah. He was, yeah, I mean, he was just kind of meh, right? Like, yeah. and But I look back, and when George McPhee was named GM of, uh, of Vegas, like, I, I don't recall anyone coming out and saying, wow, Vegas hit this massive home run right, right. with this massively successful GM who's gone to these other teams and been so great and so yeah. successful. People just yelled, Forsberg for e <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, so, and, and look, what, look what George ended up doing, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be very nearly impossible for Ron Francis to duplicate what George McPhee did. I think that the league and the GMs, I mean, there will be some gerrymandering, but it won't be, they won't be doing it like they did the last time. There, I think there's going to be more GMs that are going to be content to just say, okay, we're going to protect this number of guys. We're going to lose a, an above to a, an average to above average player, and we're going to deal with it. And so I think Seattle will get their roster 
they'll be good. They won't be great. They'll take, it'll take them some time to build something. And if there's one thing I think that that's a plus for Ron Francis, I think is, you know, he did show a lot of patience in that situation mm-hmm. in Carolina, even though they weren't very good. He didn't make any like real super panic moves. I mean, signing Scott Darling, obviously yeah, that was the one was a, yeah. was a bad one. That, yeah. that one and that one, that they, they wanted, they wanted, <laughs> they needed goaltending and they went out and got the wrong guy. Yeah. But I mean, you know, they, they were struggling in, in Carolina and he didn't like he didn't go out and make panic moves to save his job he didn't go out and make you know sort of mortgage the future for the for the present or anything like that and I think in that sense you know because to me Vegas is Vegas is the outlier Vegas yeah. is the outlier like we're not going to see that happen again see, I, I think we are because yeah. the re- because I, I think we can't un- underestimate uh, GM's tendency to get themselves in trouble. And you look at all the trades that happen every summer, including this summer, that were just purely cat-motivated. Right. And I think teams think about their goals to figure out what their team's going to do right now, and they worry about later, later. So I actually think I've changed my mind. Yeah. I think the teams are going to be screwed again and be like, oh, my God, we're, we'll do whatever we need help with this cap hell. Is, I, could, I don't know. I, it's That's yeah. my, my theory. Is Patrick Marlowe going to be... Sent to Seattle, is that what Maybe. you're saying? <laughs> it's possible. Yeah, I, what I look at with Ron Francis is a couple of different things. One is that he's it's a very high visibility guy, very well respected around the league. You know, he is a Hall of Famer. He is a multiple Stanley Cup winner, fifth all-time in points. So for a new market that is, uh, or a new team that is marketing itself, he's a very good face for this franchise right, right out the gates. Right. When he speaks, you know, he speaks from experience and, you know, you can sort of respect that. Also, you look at some of the people that were hired during his tenure in Carolina. You have Eric Tulski, Eric Tulski yeah. one of the yeah. sort of grandfathers of hockey analytics. I don't even—I don't even know how old he is. He probably can't even be a grandfather. <laughs> but you know, what I'm saying, um, you know, Mike Vellucci, who just won a Calder Cup yeah. with the Charlotte Checkers. Yeah. Now he's with Pittsburgh's organization. Uh, he'll be coaching Wilkes-Barre Scranton next year. You know, these are some of the the people that were there with Francis, where they were building up an organization, and even though they didn't make the playoffs when Francis was there. You know they got Sebastian Ajo in the second round of the draft. Mm-hmm. They made a couple yeah. of yeah, yeah they made a couple of very good draft picks. Some we're still waiting on, yeah. but as we saw with the checkers, like they're coming, like guys like Martin Nettish, for example. So. I think he set the table, and if you are looking at a long view, you know, Carolina's in a pretty decent spot right now. For sure, and in goaltending part because notwithstanding. Of in part because of, of what Ron exactly. Francis Exactly, a done. lot of the Without positive question. things. Yeah. yeah, a lot of yeah. the positive things came in with Ron Francis. So I think if you're Seattle, you look at that and say, okay, he's a builder. And it's not going to happen overnight, but that's okay. We want to have a strong foundation. And Ron Francis has he's seen different scenarios before. He's also worked under a budget that I would assume he's not going to have in Seattle because they're a little more deep-pocketed than Carolina was when he first came on. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And I think that's really important to mention the budgeting um, because I was digging into it last week. And pretty much every year when he was GM of Carolina, they were at not just a low-cap number, but all, like right at the bottom, you know, 29th, 30th, 31st, right. and operating about $60 million. Whereas when you're Seattle, you're forking over $650 million for an expansion fee, you're going to spend to the damn cap. Yeah. For multiple reasons. One, because if you're going to be helping teams making those deals to get picks, but also just you're going to try and put a winner. And I think there will be pressure, unfortunately, as a result of Vegas's success. And I remember Ron Francis telling me this in an interview uh, a couple years ago, and it was about, it was close to the trade deadline. And I was asking him if he was sure whether they're going to be buyers or sellers. And one thing he talked about was 
I think he said at the time it was like, oh, for sure, sure if we're going to make a trade, it's going to be for someone who can help us for a while because we're, we're not a team that can really spend on the big free agents. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and right. that was sort of, you know, when you're GM of a team like that, you don't get to wade into the waters and bid on an Artemi Panarin type mm-hmm. of uh, mm-hmm. free agent, right? Mm-hmm. So I think in Seattle, he's going to have financial freedom that he never had before. And I think also just uh, in the, the hours after the announcement, I, I did a quick poll. I spoke to a couple of GMs and the terms they threw out were, you know, instant credibility, instant legitimacy, because Ron Francis himself as a person is so respected by other executives and GMs yeah. around the league that yeah. from a relations standpoint, they really like him, which is going to come in handy when it comes to time to make side deals some all those, those yeah, kinds some of things. Those, yep. uh, some of those ones you take this yeah. guy off my hands. Because he's a guy that yeah. people just he's classy. You know what his yeah. it's a, I always thought of him as classy. He, he had kind of the Cal Ripken early gray hair. <laughs> you just associate Ron Francis <laughs> with class in my opinion. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah no question. Let's switch gears now to some fantasy talk. Uh, earlier, a couple weeks ago, I discussed players who gained fantasy value as a result of off-season activity. Now I want to talk about guys who've lost value. And we're going to start with, just just call it Edmonton right-winger, okay? So <laughs> Alex Chaseline had a pretty good opportunity last year playing with Dreisaitl and McDavid, and he had a chance to stick on that line again because the Oilers had not done much to improve the right side in the off-season. And then you had that bubble of Jesse Pugliarvi, Kylo Yamamoto, guys who might not even make the team, but if they do make the team, they're offensive players that are more likely to play up in the lineup and maybe get a chance with McDavid but bringing in James Neal now to play the right wing I do think that Neal jumps jumps at least Pugliarvi and Yamamoto uh, coming into camp mm-hmm. as the insider to, to win that job so if you have one of those guys let's say in a keeper league you have Yamamoto I think it's bad news for you right now that this happened and you're probably hoping for a, a Yessi Pugliarvi trade I called him Yessi yes well that's right is yes there, is there there's no who? hard J in Finnish yeah is there any yeah. uh yeah, because it's Yarvi. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's not Yessi Yarvi. Yeah. But but is there any possibility, guys, that somebody sits down with Yessi Yarvi and says, "Look, buddy, you know you're, you're kind of approaching this the wrong way," and he gets it, and he comes back, and he and he still plays for Edmonton, and he plays well, and he develops into a, you know, I mean, uh, develops into an Ole Jokinen type of guy or something like that. Mm. Like, is there any possibility that? You know, maybe he turns this around. Maybe he needs a change of environment. It's almost like if 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 you're yes, you pull your over, you could you could say like, I want you to Dylan Strome me, please. Yeah, like, really. send me somewhere, send me, send me to Chicago or to a, a team with just a, a new, a fresh culture. Yep. And yeah, you can start over. And then I, I I still think the talent is there, and he's still young enough that he could get the spark. Just like Alex Nylander, I think. Uh, he's a guy that I really have my eye on now in Chicago, where it's like, you know what? Could I conceivably see Alex Nylander making the team and passing Brendan Perlini on the depth chart? Maybe. He's got the talent, and suddenly yeah. he's thrust into a bigger mm-hmm. role. It just, you know, change of environment, you never know. It could happen. Uh, another guy, I think, whose fantasy value has taken a hit is Cam Atkinson. And it pains me to say it because he's such a such a, an inspiring little guy. He's a spark plug. He's a spark plug, and he's had a great career. And I don't want to uh, go out of my way to slam him because I still think he's going to be good. He was good before Artemi Panarin came to town. Yep. But I don't think he's going to be 41 goals good mm. anymore with Panarin off that top line. So I think we could see... Cam Atkinson still costing close to a 40-goal price in your draft, but he might be back to, you know, a 27-goal guy, which is still excellent. Right. But I don't think he's going to be a frontline fantasy commodity anymore, so be careful with Cam Atkinson. And the third one is Alexander Kerfoot. And I think especially in Canadian leagues and Ontario-based hockey pools, people will overrate Leaf players. Just <laughs> yeah. the hype machine, and people are going to say, I'm going to put on my, like, Leafs radio collar voice now, like, yo, yo, Alexander Kerfoot, bro. 
He's coming to the Leafs. It's going to be amazing. But he's going to be sick. <laughs> that's no, good. That's, gonna that's be, actually pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's that's pretty actually good. pretty good. But he's going to be a third liner. And we saw what the role did to Nazem Kadri's fantasy value last year when Tavares came to town. It really damaged Kadri's fantasy value. And I think in terms of raw offensive ability, he's more talented than Alexander Kerfoot is. Kerfoot's still good and he's still young. Yeah. He has upside left. Yeah. But it's going to be limited, especially with coach Mike Babcock, who's still a guy who tends to favor his veterans. And I don't think you're going to see Kerfoot play crazy minutes, like 18 minutes a night. I think he's probably going to be 13, 14, 15 minutes. Yeah. Shut down role. He might be a really nice addition to the team. He might even get the odd look on the second power play. Yeah. But he's not going to be a fantasy force. I don't think you're going to see his points go up. So just be careful not to overrate yeah, him because absolutely. you're excited. He's joining a team that's better offensively as a whole than Colorado mm-hmm. has been because it's deeper, but that's not not going to necessarily help Alexander. Well, it's Kruger. not going to be his role. Yeah, it's not exactly. going to be his role. He is coming in to be a true third-line center, which Nazem Kadri was not. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Precisely, yeah. yeah. It's, fa- it's future watch time, so I just pointed to Ryan. Uh, for anyone who's not watching, I just pointed to Ryan and nodded at him, and he was like, what are you that's doing? Very, that was very want? awkward. Yeah. yeah. It was very awkward. Yeah. I will speak now. All right. <laughs> yeah. So we decided uh, it'd be fun to look ahead at the 2020 draft since we are in the middle of summer. And now, we, now, now that the 29 draft, 2019 draft is officially in the books and all the players are development camps, we can go to 2020 now. Um, so we're going to do top three prospects for 2020 right now. I will say that this is kind of a fun year so far because there's probably a cluster of like six guys yeah. that are, are pretty elite. But right now, the number one, Alexi Lafreniere, the left winger for the Ramouski Oceanic in the Quebec League. Uh, he had 105 points this past season, which tied him for second in the entire league. And he's a late birthday, so he is 2001, and this is the 2002 class. Um, but it would, it would almost shock me if he did not win the scoring title this year in the queue. I suppose the only thing that would prevent it is that you know, somebody really rings up numbers while he's, he's at away the at the World Juniors. Juniors. Yeah. yeah, But he was at the World Juniors last year, too, for Canada in a small role, mm-hmm. and he still put up those points. Um, you know, this is just a guy that he's got the size, he's got the smarts, and he obviously has the talent. Ramuski, they just have this thing where every sort of 10 years, it seems, they have a phenom. You know, it was, whether yeah. it's LeCalvier or Sidney Crosby, and the, even Brad Richards was there as well, and sort of closer to the time LeCalvier was there. But... Ramuski, they just—they've got the rabbit's foot when it comes to yeah. Quebec League phenoms. Like and, I said, is it like, and they're either like horrible or a Memorial Cup contender, right? Like, there's no, there just doesn't seem to be any in between with that. Team. Which I feel is how you should be if you're exactly. a junior team. It's yeah. like, what else are you? You know, it's yeah, like, it's I'll, a, ta- I'll take three bad years. It's a for, tight cycle. I'll take two bad years for one good one. For yeah, sure. why not? Yeah. yeah, so it's a tight cycle. So Lafreniere will be the one to watch in the Quebec League. So the question that I think a lot of people ask year to year on Twitter is like, okay. Uh, if you were to take the last five first-round picks, where would Lafreniere go in the draft mm. compared to, you know, Jack Hughes and Nico Heischer and Matthews and et cetera, et cetera? Yeah, I mean, that's that's tricky because him and Hughes are so different. I would say that probably above Heischer, but, you know, not on the same stage as Matthews because he is a winger. And it's it's been kind of rare to have a winger go first overall. And this, hey, it might change as the... The season actually yeah. takes place, but I, I think he's you know he's in that group, but uh, he, he's not that McDavid kind of guy. He's not that Austin Matthews kind of guy. Um, the top center available is Quentin Byfield of the OHL Sudbury Wolves. 
Ken's hometown team. <laughs> uh, you know, Quinn Byfield, fantastic player. I've seen him for a couple of years now since you know he is in Ontario. And you know, the, the comparison that often comes up is Eric Lindros yeah. because he's a big kid with a ton of skill, moves very well. Um, you know, I, I don't know if he's necessarily a killer. Out he's not. There. No, he doesn't have the same mean streak. He's not. The, yeah. He doesn't have. Eric that was snarl. angry. Yeah. Eric was angry when he played. A yeah, lot. he was angry. A lot. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. Byfield's not like that. He's just really, really talented. Yeah, he's just really, really good. And you know, Sudbury talking to scouts last year, even though they had a great goalie in Uka Pekaluokanen, you know, Byfield was the guy that made that team hum, and he yeah. did it as an underager. So now. You know, with a, a year of experience under his belt, he comes back to a Wolves team that's definitely going to need him, uh, especially with Luokan and gone yeah. from their crease. So I expect big things from Byfield. I think he could put up a ton of points. And then the third player who can also put up a lot of offense, Alex Holtz, uh, a winger with Jurgensen uh, in Sweden. This is a kid that is just an absolute sniper. And there's another Swedish player, Lucas Raymond, right. who is probably the fourth pick in this uh, crew. Raymond's a little more well-rounded, um, but the two of them often play together internationally. And I'll be going to Michigan next week for the World Junior Summer Showcase. They're both slated to be there. Uh, so I'm pretty excited about that. But Holtz has been good for a very long time, um, has already played some games against men. Uh, he was great at the World Under-18s for Sweden last year. They won the gold medal. And he knows how to put the puck in the net. Great release, uh, just very slick. And I think that's why he's probably going to go ahead of Raymond because, I mean, goal scoring, it's just at such a premium. And, you know, as he gets older, his game will round out. But you can't teach yeah. what he does. In talking to scouts, too, about this year's draft, I, I get the sense that the top four or five guys are more ensconced this year than they've been in a lot of previous years mm. like you, you know you, you projected a year out before and it's like and then someone comes out of nowhere and right. gets into the top five or you know it's so much in flux but i but from what i've been told like there's somebody's really gonna have to do something to usurp these five guys that you just talked about yeah, I would say, yeah, you're looking at Lafreniere, Byfield, Holtz, Raymond, yeah. and then you have Jamie Drysdale, who's probably the top defenseman. He plays for Erie in the OHL. And then Anton Lundell, uh, who yeah. plays in Finland, who already was on the World Junior Team last year when they won gold. Don't He's another on, late birthday. Don't sleep on Cole Perfetti either. I also love Colt Perfetti yeah, with don't Saginaw. Sleep on him. Yeah. yeah, he's. He, I mean, he, I think he had forty goals. Yeah. as a rookie. Yeah. with Saginaw Spirit, uh, so he's another good one. But I, I would agree. Like already, you know, doing those forecasts last year, and it's like, ooh, I'm already at five, and I don't have you know player X. Like this is a tough one yeah. to put together right now, and you almost have to start thinking positionally because there's not a lot separating them talent-wise. So it's, it's going to be an interesting one. Interesting. And uh, 2020 first overall pick, once Lafreniere, if Lafreniere goes first, that'll be an eight-year drought of wingers going first overall. The last one was Neil Yakupov. Ooh. But I think Lafreniere is going to be better than Yakupov. <laughs> Just a hunch. <laughs> Sorry, Neil Yakupov, if you're listening. Uh, let's switch gears and talk a bit about what's on newsstands right now in our magazine. It's the Meet the New Guy issue. So if you're looking for it, it's our new glossy print feel. And it's got P.K. Subban on the cover and our Tammy Panarin. And Ken, you wrote a story about P.K. in that issue. So can you enlighten us a little bit on that story? Well, I think I think what the most interesting takeaway I got from that story was in talking to um, Ray Shiro, the GM. And he basically said, you know, we want to be good, but we want to be relevant. Mm. And, I, and I think that's I think that that the whole, 
you know, culture is changing in New Jersey around that sort of celebrity aspect of things. You know, with, with Lou Lamorello, I mean, it was very t- buttoned down. And, you know, you couldn't grow facial hair. You couldn't do this. You couldn't do that. Team first. Team first. Yeah. And, and now you've got two guys coming in, one in Jack Hughes, the other in, in P.K. Subban, who's, who, are, who are eloquent. They're well-spoken. They're, they're gregarious. Um, you know, so they are going to be guys that I think are going to change that whole concept of of devils hockey. I mean, they're not they're not your grandfather's devils. They're not your older brother's devils anymore. Um, you know, I mean, and so it's 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 going to be interesting to see whether or not they can leverage this, you know, this person this huge personality like. They've never had somebody like this in New Jersey ever. They've had great players. They've yeah. had, you know, Scott Stevens. They've had Scott Niedermeyer. They've had Scott Gomez. They've had a lot of good Scots, apparently. <laughs> yeah, so many Scots. Um, yeah. Scott Brodeur yeah. in net. Yeah. They Andy Scott. Yeah. Uh, they, they've got some great guys. <laughs> um, but they've never had someone who takes up this much, much oxygen, I guess you could say, right? Yeah. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays in New Jersey and how – you know how that sort of elevates the, the you know the, the the profile of the devils because you know i mean we saw they had that great year two years ago they took a step back now they're sort of building up again um you know nothing's gonna sell better than winning and and that's why that's also why they brought pk in i mean they they that's a huge upgrade for them on on the right side of their d core um so yeah i mean it's it it should be interesting to see what happens on the ice with this team because you know they have kind of been a little Jekyll and Hyde the last two years see where they sort of even out and then sort of on the on in the off ice aspect of things where you know how the whole perception of this franchise might change all right and if you want to read it if if you're uh watching this podcast and not uh listening to it I'm holding up the magazine right now there it is the meet the new guy issue You know you want to buy it. (laughs) And, Kenny, we're going to keep you having the floor right now. Let's do a hot take. Hit us with your most sizzling take. Okay, guys. A little pop quiz here. Mm. What do Mitch Marner, Patrick Laine, Brock Besser, uh, Zach Warensky, Matthew Kachuk, Miko Rantanen, uh, Kyle Connor, what do they have in common? They're unsigned. Unsigned, right unsigned RFAs. Yep. Coming off entry-level deals. You guys deals. both get the gold star and move to the bing, head bing. of the class. Hooray. And it doesn't have to be this way. For whatever reason, and I've, it's never been adequately explained to me, the NHL is dead set against having arbitration for entry-level guys. And we see it time and again. We saw it with William Nylander last year. We may see it with Mitch Marner again this year. We may see it with any number of these guys. If they were allowed to go to arbitration or if the team was allowed to take them to arbitration, I don't get it. You would have, like, you wouldn't have to sign these guys to long term deals. It would automatically be a bridge deal of one or two years. Mm-hmm. Um, it, you know, I mean, I, I, it, it would be a fair contract because arbitration, it forces you to be fair because you have to come in with a realistic number or else the arbitrator is going to pick the other side. Um, you know, it guarantees these guys are in camp. And starting the season at a very, very, very crucial time in their development. I mean, how many times have we seen guys, well, we just saw it last year with a guy coming in late and it just derails his whole year yeah. and, and sets sets him back. I, ju- I don't understand why the NHL just doesn't 
go and and give arbitration rights to to entry-level guys. There just doesn't seem to be any reason. I mean, it's not money. I mean, the money is the money, right? Like, they're splitting it 50-50 with the players. Mm. So who cares? They don't care how it gets distributed, right? So it seems like it's getting worse. Like, I can't remember a summer when this many of the big names were still unsigned this deep in July. Yeah. It just, I don't know if it's in my head, but it just feels like... The camps are getting more militant about the negotiations every year, and well, they're all waiting. They're all waiting yeah. for the for the dominoes to start falling, right? And nobody wants to be that first one. I also wonder if the cap coming in lower than expected Absolutely. has thrown a wrench into plans where you could say to a Zach Wierenski, it's like, oh yeah, we were totally going to give you nine, but now we can only give you seven point five. Is that okay? And obviously, <laughs> they're going to say, well, no, I still deserve nine. It's not my fault that the yeah, cap manager cap. Up. Yeah, exactly. from my understanding. Talking to agents, I mean, with no, with no arbitration rights, some teams will lord that over their players and their agents by token um, in negotiations. They'll basically say, "Well, you don't have our rights, so either you do a deal or you sit out." Exactly up to you. you, you so have, I know why ownership likes it. Yeah, but yeah. but I mean, like I said, it's it's they're giving they're giving up. See, what I don't understand is they're giving up fifty percent of the revenues anyways, right? Mm. So who cares how it gets distributed mm. from the owner's side? Right. They're giving up fifty percent, right, or they're half. Not, they're not yeah. losing any money. Yeah, they're getting their or same half. Piece I just said fifty percent or half. <laughs> Whatever comes first. <laughs> Whatever comes first. Yeah. But yeah, so so to me, if I'm an owner, it's like I don't care. You want to give this guy a bunch of money? Go ahead, give it to him. It just means that you know. I'm giving out the same amount of money anyways, right? Mm-hmm. And to me, it's like these are the best young players in the game. Yeah. Like these are like it's you're, we're not talking about, you know, marginal players here or guys that have done something and and you know and and maybe on the downside. We're talking about guys whose trajectory is going like this. Yeah. If I'm an owner, like if I'm the Toronto Maple Leafs, I want Mitch Marner in the lineup not on October 3rd. I want Mitch Marner in the lineup on September 15th when training camp opens because mm-hmm. we've got to establish what we're going to do and how we're going to play and he's got to be there. Those young guys have to be there. Yeah. Indeed. I agree. Uh we're going to get a few quick mailbag questions in before we go. Uh, first, a quick one from Alex Byrne. Which one of you selected Quicksand as the intro music? That's Ryan Kennedy. Me, yes. And why? Uh, Quicksand's just an all-time great underground band, and I felt it It goes well. Yeah. There's not enough good yeah. music yeah, right. in the sporting world. I'm a music snob, but I sincerely believe that. It rocks. I've heard your music. You're not a music snob. It sounds like okay. this. <laughs> you heard some, you heard some of my music. Yeah. So quicksand. Yeah, that. Yeah, I, I agree with everything you said. <laughs> yeah. About that. For Quicksand's sure. not like a really caustic. Band. Sometimes I You'd feel be fine like with this. Them. Podcast is mired in quicksand. <laughs> Maybe that's why we Hey-o. picked it. <laughs> okay. Next question is from Carrie, and Carrie asks: So far, which teams made the best moves to put their team in a playoff position, and which ones have made the worst? So, for the context of this question, we're talking about bubble teams. So teams that might have gotten themselves in that missed last year and teams that might have nudged themselves out with how they've behaved uh, this summer. Uh, for the team that's going to get itself in, I'm going to say the Florida Panthers. Mm. Panarin and no Panarin, you're still, you've added Joe Quenville as your head coach. You've added Sergei Bobrovsky. Panthers were 30th in the league in save percentage last year at all strengths, 5-5 five and five and all strengths. Uh, so I think Jess Bobrovsky alone is probably going to add five wins to their total. And you've you've added your depth. You've, you've added Anton Strallman to that blue line and Brett Connolly, Noah Achari, and None of those guys are necessarily going to be amazing signings when you look at look back on the signings, but they still make the team better mm. right now. Mm-hmm. And 
The bottom half of the Atlantic Division is still weak. The Panthers can be the fourth bully team, I think, this year, finally. I know I said that last year, but they didn't have Quenville and Bobrovsky last year. So Panthers have gotten themselves in, in my opinion. Boom. I'll go with uh, Philadelphia. And, you know, the Flyers have been pretty scrappy the past couple of years. And I think the fact that they brought in Justin Braun and Matt Niskanen for the defense core will help not so much because of them specifically, but because of the impact they can have on some of Philly's young star defensemen like Ivan Provorov, like Shane Gosses-Bayer. I I think it's going to have a nice effect that way and sort of, you know, Rise all or raise all boats in the tide, or whatever the saying is. Um, you know, Kevin Hayes, something, something water, something, something boats. Uh, Kevin Hayes was an overpay, but if we're just talking about the here and now, then they're obviously stronger down the middle with Kevin Hayes in their lineup, so that helps them in the short term. I also like Brian Elliott being back in Philly, and here's why yes, Carter Hart is their guy, but Brian Elliott always plays better when he's not the guy, Mm -hmm. and I think. It'll be great for Carter Hart to have a veteran voice in the room with him. And also, Elliot can he can still win you games as long as he's only playing like 30 of them. A jealous Brian Elliott is the best Brian Elliott. It really is. Yeah, so I think I think that helps too, where it's like he knows he's not the guy, and that's I think that it gets his competitive juices going. So I think uh, I think the Flyers are in. Okay, uh, after a disastrous first offseason as a general manager, I think I think Jason Botterill of the Buffalo Sabres has really gone out and redeemed himself this summer with some of the moves that he's made. Getting Yoki Haru, getting Colin Miller on the defense, mm. which may or may not lead to a Rasmus Ristolainen trade. Um, that still remains to be seen. I think getting Marcus Johansson was a great little pickup for them. Only two years, too. So yeah, only risk. two years, yeah. low risk. Uh, and it's not like this guy's... I mean, Marcus Johansson is not going to come in there and be terrible. He's just not. He's 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 too much of a pro. He's yeah. he's he's going to be, at the very worst, he's going to be injured. all right. And, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. At the very worst, he's going to be injured. <laughs> at the very worst, he's going to be okay and he won't hurt you. So, right. um, you know, I think, I think that, I think that uh, you know, I mean, Buffalo, uh, like I said, after a maybe the most disastrous offseason in trading Ryan O'Reilly and then seeing what he went went on and did. I think I think Jason Botterill's really sort of had a good he's had a good comeback offseason. Hmm. Okay. Let's go around the horn one more time. This time we'll say which teams have hurt themselves. I'm gonna say Pittsburgh. Uh, and we've talked about the Phil Kessel trade already, but I still believe that, you know, you're bringing in Alex Galchenyuk, and Galchenyuk's ceiling is probably Kessel's floor. And I like what Jim Rutherford's doing long-term, getting younger. Pierre-Olivier Joseph, you needed to stock that cupboard because Pittsburgh's prospect crop is the weakest in the NHL. But this year, you're still getting worse. You've lost Kessel. Uh, and Kessel had the ability to give you three dangerous yeah. lines. I've said before that the fact that Kessel often had to play on his own line, separate from Malkin and Crosby, was not a bad thing. It was a good thing. It made Pittsburgh extra dangerous mm-hmm. because you couldn't key on any one line. And also, you've traded away Ali Mata, and I know he was a disappointment overall, but by trading him away, you did not replace him with anyone on that defense score, which was already pretty leaky last year. So yeah. I have the Penguins, and I've talked to Penguins fans about this a lot already in the last couple of weeks, but I have the Penguins out of the playoffs uh, and I think Jim Rutherford is sort of sacrificing a little bit of the present for the sake of being a bit better in another year or two uh, in terms of Olivier Joseph. Mm. We don't know if Galchenyuk is going to resign. But overall, I like the philosophy. It just means Pittsburgh's weaker right now. Gotcha. I'm going with Winnipeg. Uh, they lost half their entire defense core. And, uh, and they, they also lost Brandon Tanev, who was a good depth player. But... 
the thing for me is that the Central Division is just so deadly right now that the margin of error seems to be pretty slim. And yes, the Jets still have fantastic forwards and they still have Dustin Bufflin. However, you know, is he an 82-game guy at this point in his career or are the injuries just piling up too much? When you lose Truba, Tyler Myers, and Ben Sherratt, you know, you lose one of them and you're, you're probably okay, but just the sheer mass of all those players leaving at one time I think is going to be a bit of a shock to the system for the Jets. And if they get off to a bad start because they're still trying to find their footing with this new alignment, I, I think that could be trouble for them. All right. Um, I mean... It- we all love the moves that uh, Jarmo Kekalainen made at the deadline. Well, most of us did. I mean, yeah, it showed a lot of guts. It showed yeah. a lot of guile, a lot of moxie. And, he, and also, he had to do it. I mean, because this was a fan base that was starting to get a little weary of losing all the time in the playoffs. They did go out. They did win a round. Their they, first playoff series they, whenever. Yeah, they almost made it halfway through the playoffs, which isn't great. Um, but they did win a playoff round. But, you know, you got to wonder now if, they're going to have to pay the piper because of this, mm-hmm. obviously, because they lose Bobrovsky, they lose Panarin, two guys they could have leveraged at the trade deadline to build up their to build up their assets. You know, then they go out and they get Matt Duchesne, Ryan Dezingle, they lose both of them, they lose their president, they lose, you know, and they've essentially replaced it, all that with Gustav Nyquist. Mm-hmm. Um, which, no pressure. Yeah, which you know, I mean, I still think they're going to be decent. I, th- I still yeah. think they're going to be a pretty good team. Yeah, you still got Jones and Renski but, playing yeah. 25, 30 yeah, minutes. Yeah, yeah. But but the only problem is is that is that with Columbus you're not talking about a team that won its division going away and has you know had to absorb a bunch of losses and is still going to be pretty good. Mm. We're talking about a team that that barely made the playoffs. Yes, and now has lost all these guys. So I, I mean I, I'm I'm a bit worried about where this is all going to go in the regular season. Maybe. You know, maybe not having the Panarin Bobrovsky distraction hanging over you all the time is going to bring out the best in this group, and they're going to they're going to they're going to have a a screw you attitude. You know, maybe and and maybe it'll all work out. But I, I just I can't see a team losing that many players as being a team that got better. <laughs> Indeed. Good picks all around. Well, everyone, we're going to wrap it up now, and we're going to wrap it up for a little while. It's time to take a little break, take a little vacation time. So we're going to be off for a couple weeks. Ken's going to be off for 74 weeks. Grandpa's and, tired. Uh, Grandpa's yeah. tired. He needs to <laughs> Ken's going to come back like Seattle's going to already be two years into its franchise. <laughs> uh, Why well, Seattle needs yeah. to fire Ron Francis. By yeah, Ken right. <laughs> That'll be his hot take. TJ Oshie is Ron a great Francis captain of the Seattle right. millionaires or Metropolitans yeah. or Kraken or whatever they are. <laughs> Well, thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back later in the summer. We'll start previewing the divisions and doing some fantasy sports previews, all that kind of stuff. And uh, just enjoy maybe a break from hockey until the next big news break.